Congregation, the text I've chosen this morning is the first four verses of Hebrews 2. Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4. We read there the word of God as follows. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. So far the text. <clears throat> Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, another sermon on the letter to the Hebrews then. And I might add another sermon then about the Word of God, the Bible. And I focus on the Word, the Bible, because it's one of the many themes running through the book of Hebrews. Not the main theme, which of course is Jesus Christ and the new covenant in his blood. Hebrews was, after all, written to, apparently to Jewish Christians who were in danger of sliding back to Old Testament practices which had been fulfilled in Christ, sliding back to Judaism. Hence the emphasis on Christ being the better, being better than the angels in chapter 1, and later on chapter 3, Christ better than Moses, and later still Christ better than the Aaronic priesthood, and finally the covenant in his blood being a better covenant than the old one. So this, this letter is a call to Christ the Savior. He is the theme, of course, of this letter, his work. But that call to Christ continually has to come from the Word, the Bible. And so you also have the emphasis on the Word of God throughout this letter to the Hebrews. And to hearing that Word as the voice of God, such as in our text which speaks of giving heed to the things we have heard, in chapters 3 and 4, quoting Psalm 95, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts. Hearing the Word is one of the themes of Hebrews. And hearing God's Word brings accountability. Jesus said too, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. When you hear the Word of God, you're accountable before God for what you have heard, accountable for what He has promised you. For the gospel of salvation you heard from the Word and which was promised to you. And therefore, also the exhortation of our text to give earnest heed 
to that word which we have heard, lest we drift away from it and from the salvation contained in it, the salvation it brings. And with that in mind, I preach to you the word of God in the text with this theme, hold fast to the word. You see three things then. It's a necessary word, a saving word, and a true word. First of all, it's a necessary word. God has spoken. And that's being put in the Bible. And hence, he still speaks to us in the Bible. That's congregation, how the letter to the Hebrews begins. And we touched on that last Sunday. In various times, in various ways, God spoke in the past to the fathers by the prophets. He spoke in audible voice, in dreams and visions, in storm and in silence even. But now in this last age of the world, these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. He said everything he wants to say. No more revelation needed. The Son has manifested and revealed everything we need for life and salvation in the presence of God. And Christ is above the angels. Angels are already awesome. People thought they were going to die when they saw an angel in the Old Testament. So receiving a message by an angel was a huge blessing. And privilege, but how much more than to hear God's Son speak what He has spoken and revealed? He has received the highest position possible, seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And that's why that serious warning if the Word of God passed on by angels made people accountable. How much more hearing the word of God from the Son of God make one accountable today? And that warning is spread throughout the whole letter to the Hebrews. But this is the first warning. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away, it says in our text, the beginning of the text. See, the, the original writer of this letter was pretty worried about the people he was writing to. They were in danger of drifting away from the kingdom, from the way to the kingdom of heaven. Think in terms of maybe a canoe. We're Canadians. Think in terms of a canoe. Instead of paddling in the direction of the kingdom of heaven, upstream, they were drifting downstream, away, away from it, toward the rapids, we could say even. They needed to give more earnest heed to the things they had heard. More careful attention to the Word of God, to the Bible, in other words. The Bible gives the way to the kingdom. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. They were drifting away from that gospel and away from Him then. Back to Old Testament Judaism again. They needed to get back to the Word, to the contents of the Word, the truth about Christ laid out in that Word. 
get back to it. Take heed to the word. That's a warning we should take to heart today too, shouldn't we? Give more earnest heed to the Bible, lest we drift away from the course that's clearly laid out in it. The Bible is a complex book. Of course, there are some very basic and essential features to the Bible and to the Christian faith which are simple to understand. A child can believe in Jesus as his or her Savior. A child knows the basics of what it's about. The Bible is wonderfully simple in, in one way. But on the other hand, there are so many riches in it to be explored, savored, celebrated, pondered over, that we're, we're never going to get finished with the Bible, even if we lived a number of lifetimes. Someone once said that in a way the Bible is like a pool of water. It's shallow enough that a child can safely splash around in it, but deep enough that an elephant could drown in it. Over time, as you develop your faith, you want to dive deeper and deeper into that word. That's natural. It's like being in love, I could say. If you're in love with your spouse, then you don't want to keep your relationship at the same surface level where you were when you, when you first met each other or when you first got married. No, you want to continually deepen that relationship, getting to know more and more of your spouse's history, their soul, their wishes, their hopes, their thoughts. So also with your faith. If you love God in Christ, you want to go deeper in your faith, your enthusiasm for the gospel and for the myriad of mysteries that get conveyed through the course of the Bible's diverse 66 books makes you want to open it every day, wouldn't it? Would make you want to study that. Join a, a Bible study group when the study, study season starts again, September. Wants you to pay more earnest heed to it. We need that exhortation today, don't we? We need it today, too. The text warns about drifting. As we mentioned, that metaphor of drifting points to letting the current carry you away from a destination through carelessness, distraction, not doing anything. C.S. Lewis, the late great Christian writer, he observed here, that most people don't leave the Christian faith because they were argued out of it, but they just neglected it. They drifted away because they made other things more important in their lives. They made devotions in Bible study one of the last things on their to-do list every week. And then being carried on and adrift in the river of life, they became that much more susceptible to being influenced by other ideas, and slowly their knowledge of and confidence in God's Word evaporated. They just drifted off. Or, to go back to the analogy of marriage, 
I said a moment ago that a, a genuine, in a genuine loving marriage, spouses want to move beyond the, the superficial relationship they started out with. Sadly, though, in some marriage relationships, the relationship become, can become so neglected that they, they live so alongside each other and pay so little attention to each other that in a way the couple does end up back at the beginning stages of their relationship again. More and more shallow in their relationship. The thing is, they become so consumed with other things, business, work, recreation, and so on. They take so little time for the relationship to talk, take so few opportunities to deepen their knowledge of one another's hearts, to experience things together, that it, their relationship ends up being a shallow, surfacy kind of relationship again. And then, over time, they end up concluding that they have nothing in common. What happened is they didn't pay close enough attention to each other, paid heed to one another, and they just drifted apart. That's the danger for us with the Word of God, congregation. That we drift away from the Word, that we drift away from God who speaks to us through the prophets and now by His Son in the Bible. It's so important to make the Bible an integral part of your daily life. And the preaching, the priority of every Sunday, twice even as we agreed in our church order. That's why preaching of the Word is the focal point of faithful, reformed, and Presbyterian churches too. Because we believe firmly and steadfastly there is so much to learn from God's Word that will never be anywhere near finished. But sadly, so many people who call themselves Christians today apparently want to reduce the faith in the Bible to what's easy. Easy believism. Creeds and confessions too complicated, push them aside, as well as psalms in worship, what do they mean? And preaching which isn't geared to your personal enhancement. Just keep it simple, shall we? A dumbed-down, man-centered message is the wish, and that in a world becoming ever more complex. Congregation, if we truly love God, I want to deepen ourselves in Him. We will study and learn and listen to His Word. Pay heed to His Word. Close heed to His Word. Also as it is proclaimed by His servants because we want to know Him better. Love Him more. Know more about Him and who He is. Deepen that relationship. Now when Many people talk about worship, you know, worship. Then they think in terms of activities for the congregation, like singing, clapping, raising hands, and so on. It's about doing things. But to sit and listen to somebody talk about what a part of the Bible says for half an hour or so doesn't look like worship to them. So many evangelical churches have fallen for that. But, but it is worship. Listening to a sermon 
is soaking in the voice of God, looking into his heart as he opens it for us in his word. We must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. We need that word to stay on course to the kingdom of God. Let's keep that goal in heart and mind and too. And that brings us to the second thing that the text shows, that word of God is a word of salvation. The text congregation gives the reason why it's so, so necessary for people to pay heed to the word and not to drift away from the truth contained in it again. If, if the word spoken through angels proved true in every way, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, it says in the text. The word given by angels. Angels are very special. If you received a message from an angel, you were an extremely privileged person, but also an angel appeared, filled you with fear. Impressive. But the Son of God is far above the angels in glory and majesty. The writer of Hebrews shows in the warning of our text why he wrote so extensively about Christ above the angels. The word of God spoken by angels in the past already had, had so much authority, made people so accountable. People who heard that word delivered by angels didn't have to think, well, you know, they could ignore it, go their own way, go against it even. Those who did so were justly punished. Think of what it says, Numbers 15, verse 30 and 31. I'll quote that passage, Numbers 15. But the person who sins presumptuously, it says there, whether native-born or stranger, that person brings a reproach on the Lord, and he shall be cut off from among his people because he has despised the word of the Lord and has broken his commandment. That person shall be completely cut off and his guilt shall be upon him. Now with the angels who spoke according to our text, we can think how an angel appeared and spoke on behalf of God to Gideon or the angel who spoke to Samson's parents. But angels were also involved in giving of the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. And during the journey in the wilderness of Israel in the wilderness, we don't read specifically anywhere in the Old Testament that angels gave Moses all those instructions and in the law. But we are told that in the New Testament. Acts 7, Stephen, the martyr, the first martyr of the Christian church, in his speech to the Sanhedrin, he mentioned the angel who spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. And in Galatians 3, the Apostle Paul mentioned that the law was appointed through angels by the hand of Moses, the mediator between God and Israel. So we know angels were involved in the giving of the Old Testament laws to Moses. When God instructed Moses about the Old Testament sacrifices and ceremonies, he did so through angels 
instructed the people how they were to worship Him through angels. So angels were very special. The word spoken by those angels on behalf of God had great authority. When an Israelite transgressed and disobeyed what had been spoken by those angels, he or she was to be punished. And they were. They were even to be excommunicated from the people of Israel. Angels were not just minor beings. And having established that, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews then goes from the lesser to the greater. How much more? If the word spoken by angels meant punishment for those who disobeyed it, made everybody accountable who heard it, how shall we escape if we neglect the message of such a great salvation as revealed in deeds and words by God's Son, Jesus Christ? How shall we escape if we hear the gospel? That makes us accountable. Yes, in the past, God spoke by the prophets and also by angels, but in the words spoken by the Son of God, Jesus Christ, we have the revelation of a salvation that goes much farther than that revealed by those prophets and those angels. God's Son made known a great salvation. The salvation, the full salvation, all those others could only speak about in shadowy terms yet. And even though they spoke in those shadowy terms, it, what they said made those people accountable. But God came to this earth and to His people in His Son. And his son spoke about the fulfillment of all that had been spoken before. Think of how the Lord Jesus opened the scroll of Isaiah in the synagogue in Nazareth, his hometown. He told about that in Luke 4. He opened the book to the words of Isaiah 49. And he read there, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And when he had read that passage, that whole passage, he closed the book and he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. You see, the salvation which fulfilled all that had been spoken before by prophets and angels began at that time. God began to speak by the Lord, His Son. And Jesus said and did so many more things after that day in the synagogue in Nazareth. He suffered. He was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. He ascended. He obtained the victory over sin and Satan for all His own. The Word by the Son is the revelation, the full revelation of salvation. The writer of Hebrews, the letter to the Hebrews, works that out in detail in the following chapters. For instance, when he writes about Jesus as a high priest who brought the once-for-all sacrifice for sins and who opened the way to us into the inner sanctuary to God, 
opened the way through the curtain of the heavenly tabernacle. And he had already written in chapter 1, verse 3, about God's Son having purged all our sins and afterwards sitting down at the right hand of the majesty of God. And that brings into the point the Spirit is making here. The word spoken by the Son is also a word full of salvation. The, the word of complete salvation. It goes so much further in that than the word of angels, prophets and angels in the Old Testament. And if disobedience to the word spoken by prophets and angels was punished severely, how do you think you're going to escape severe punishment if you neglect or disobey the word of full salvation spoken by the Son of God? If you drift away from that today, In fact, why would you seek the words of angels or any other further revelations from God if he has made his complete salvation known? Why would you listen to people who claim that God has spoken to them after Christ, yet like the Mormons, another gospel, they say? Why would you seek any further manifestations or signs from God like some charismatic groups do today? Nothing goes above and beyond the words spoken by the Son. He has spoken words of full salvation complete to the end. Why would you seek any other words from God than that saving word of his son? And why would you not be busy with it? Congregation, that word and that word alone is the word of salvation from sin and all its effects. If a church neglects that word of the son, you don't belong there then you need to go back to a saving word. How often, though, don't we see that people leave a church because they don't want to heed that word? They want to be entertained. They drift away from that word. They lose interest in and they lose sight of that great salvation which is contained in that word. That word, the gospel, contained in the Bible, as fulfilled in the Son, is the power to salvation for all who believe it. It's the word of Jesus Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. And brothers and sisters, again, how do you treat the Bible? I could also ask, how do you treat God who speaks in the Bible, who has spoken not just by angels, prophets, but by his son, spoken a word of salvation for you. Do you realize that knowing that word means that you stand eye in eye with the Son of God? How will you escape the, the wrath of God that's coming over the world if you now neglect that word? This is a word that contains all you need for life and salvation. Don't neglect it says in our text, be where it is faithfully proclaimed. Open that word at home. Make up your mind to join the Bible study, if at all possible. This is a word which is the power to salvation for everyone who accepts it, believes it, deepens themselves in it. 
And then we come to the last point that comes to the fore in the text, yet that word is also a true word, an authoritative word, we could say. Hergation, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, had not personally heard Jesus speaking. He writes in the text about the words spoken by the Lord Jesus being confirmed to him and to others by those who heard him, the Lord Jesus. So he, he had things secondhand. He was a second-generation Christian who had not been an eyewitness to Jesus' time on earth. In that way, he was like Luke, who wrote the Gospel of Luke and Acts. Luke writes at the beginning of his Gospel that he was writing a narrative of events as delivered to him by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses, who heard and saw and who became ministers of the Word, and we could say apostles. So the writer of the letter to the Hebrews had spoken to people who had heard the Lord Jesus speaking, seen Him acting. The witness of those various people gave him confidence that the Word spoken and manifested by the Son was true. But God himself also confirmed that word by means of signs and wonders. Those signs and great deeds showed the power of the gospel. The message of salvation was accompanied with miracles of healing and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Think of the time when Jesus was on earth. And think of later on the apostles too yet, the apostles. In the last verse of the Gospel of Mark, Mark writes that after Jesus' ascension, the, the apostles went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Confirming the word. This is it, people, is what those signs said. This is it. They didn't have it in a book, but what they heard was it. So the proclamation of the apostles was on the same level as Jesus' own proclamation. It was the revelation of the Son. Those signs and miracles and special gifts of the Spirit were part of the credentials of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, whom he had appointed as the foundation of his New Testament church. So the function of those signs and wonders passed away as the church was established. And when the gospel of Christ's salvation was fully written, they were not required anymore. Now the word confirms itself. What our text says, therefore, congregation, is that the Son of God had a very exalted position. No creature in heaven or on earth comes close to His majesty and glory. So the word He gave here is a word from heaven too a true word from God. By means of signs and wonders, God confirmed the authority of the message of Jesus and his apostles too. This is the message of glorious and complete salvation in his Son. The salvation God would provide for the world. The only salvation. And so, Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, be warned. 
Be warned. Listen carefully to that word of the Son of God. Give earnest heed to it, lest you drift away and miss that glorious entry into the kingdom of heaven. That would be a horrible tragedy, wouldn't it? If you missed that entry and drifted away. You know the gospel of Jesus Christ. Maybe not very well yet, in your own opinion. Maybe you've been busy with it for a long time already and you figure you know a lot. But in any case, keep listening to it, studying it. It's God's love letter to you. And the more you take it in, the more sure you become of His love for you and His Son. And the more you'll love Him too.